seeing that coming to coming to a head. That are, that are decades of, uh, I mean, American imperial fuckery. I mean, this is like NATO expansion and the and Ukraine. Uh, the, the Ukraine war is. You can look at the way the U.S. manipulated uh, the, the the Iron Curtain and the Cold War, and, and and then used the end of the Soviet Union as a way to really try to penetrate into. Uh, this whole area and and all of their actions in the Middle East and Central Asia, you know, they've been kicked out of Afghanistan and and Ukraine. It's that's such a disaster for them. It's a question of like some idiot at Counterpunch, which I don't understand why Counterpunch publishes this garbage. But some guy wrote like, uh, "There's no way you can win the Ukraine war unless the people agree on peace." And I'm like, I don't. I actually. Just because Russia's being very patient, I don't think that there's any way Ukraine can win and eventually, you know, this will end. So I don't understand. But we we find ourselves here where all these hot, these flashpoints, but like the root cause is so obvious if you're not brainwashed, which is, okay, why did the U.S. back the, the dope trafficking KMT in Taiwan, in, in Taiwan, you know, even before they were on Taiwan? Why did the U.S. and the, the British Empire... In 1917, especially the, the U.S. wasn't involved at that point, but what, by what right did they have to even think about what the, the Holy Land would look at? You know, that's the, you can't defend that now. And, uh, you know, the, you, the NATO expansion going all the way up to the doorstep of, uh, of Ukraine, like all of these issues were like, oh, the world is in such per- peril now. But it's like you trace them all back and it's like this is all. You know, white supremacy, U.S. imperialism, Western imperialism, whatever you want to call it. But it's all this project of like Atlanticist white dudes who think that they can carve up the world any way they want. And the rest of the world is pushing back. And I think more, even more than Ukraine on this issue with Israel-Palestine, we're seeing more of it really becoming a that like it is polarizing the world in a way that is not advantageous to the U.S. It's really drawing a, a, a clear line between this, the, the axis of, you know, uh, of, of Whitey McDollar or whatever you want to call the U.S. empire at this point, the global capitalism, Western imperialism, like it's them versus everybody else. And the global South, they used to care about what the global South thought so much so that in 56, you had uh, Eisenhower intervenes on the side of Nasser. Instead of on the side of the British and the French and the Israelis, think about the significance of that. And then, but 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 the U.S. has gone so far on the side of just brutality, backing Israel and backing you know British-style domination of these areas that they don't even do that anymore. I mean, they, we're just we're really reaping this terrible, terrible harvest uh, uh, based on on what we've been trying to do to rule the world for decades. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear. There's not really. There's a there's a goal, you know. The goal is is to continue to dominate these countries, to continue to exploit their resources, to continue to exploit their economies. But their the strategy that has been used for so long to try to achieve that, uh, which is to dominate military. I mean, especially in Southwest Asia, is to dominate militarily, uh, to control the supply of oil, and to therefore you know control the global economy. I mean, that's it's. I mean, really, the connection between oil and and the U.S. dollar is pretty direct. Um, there's there's really no U.S. dollar as reserve currency without uh, dollar-denominated oil transactions, um, and but ultimately, the, you know, I think it was just an inevitability that even after all of the work that the U.S. did uh, to try to destroy Arab nationalism and to t- try to destroy all of the um, 
you know, to try to destroy the the nascent nationalism that existed in Iran in the 1950s, right? With with Ajax, you know, Operation Ajax and and getting rid of Mossadegh and supporting the Shah. You know, I think it, it's just an you, you, you know you can't hold people down for that for that long and expect that uh, it's just going to hold forever. I mean, Iran is a big country with a well-educated population. You know, you can. I think you're around 100 million. Yeah, it's as big. I mean, it is. Yeah. They're as big as Germany, and their and their population is probably close to as well-educated as as many in Western Europe. It's a you know. Um, so the idea that that you're just going to and of course they have huge amounts of natural resources. So the idea that you're going to just indefinitely subjugate these people, that you're going to, you know, apply these, you know, ridiculous international sanctions, um, you know, tut tut about Iran's nuclear program, while your closest ally in the region, Israel, has a stockpile of illegal nuclear weapons, um, it's and, and they pretend like it's not true, and even the State Department will yeah, defer no one, to Israel. You, you, I mean, they won't acknowledge it, even though it's obvious. Um, you know, it's totally. I mean, even though they've threatened, I mean, even though they've tacitly threatened to nuke Iran. Uh, you know, but I remember when I was a, an undergrad, uh, I was talking to like an Israeli guy who I met on Facebook or whatever, and he was like my age, and we had like connected in the same like whatever circles, talking talking crap on Facebook, or whatever. But then like we had a video chat one day, and we were just talking about this, and I was like, yeah, and like uh, we we're going through the usual, you know dumb talking points but i mentioned that like well this is a big deal because israel has nuclear weapons and then he just like smiled and he was like well i don't know about that and i was like what, what do you it's just like yeah like it's just a joke like you know that israel has nuclear weapons i know that right. israel has nuclear weapons and but you know that it's a joke of a policy to not acknowledge it. So right. he just like smiled and smirked and was like, <laughs> well, I can't say anything about that. I'm like, Jesus. And I mean, that's like, what Israeli leaders do too. I mean, it's not just, it's not just, you know, I mean, it's not just ordinary Israelis. I mean, it's Israeli leadership. But yeah, in that, I mean, in that context, you know, I think it's inevitable. You would expect that a country like Iran would be the regional power, right? I mean, it's a huge country with 100 mm -hmm. million people in it with a ton of natural resources. There's no world where you would expect a country of 10 million people which has very little natural resources and very small land area, you wouldn't expect that that country would be the regional power. And the only reason, of course, that they are is because they enjoy the support of the global hydrogen. Uh, but, you know, the, the military technology has changed uh, and, and the center of, you know, the economic center of gravity of the world obviously has gone, has shifted eastward. And, and uh, you know, as we've seen in recent years, Iran has, has you know, become integrated into the Chinese and uh, the Chinese economy and, uh, you know, all of that stuff has has implications. And I don't think there's a new strategy for how to deal with that. I mean, uh, you know, you're not going to invade Iran, for instance, the way that the U.S. invaded Iraq in, in 1991 or in 2003. It's just not feasible. But there isn't really a new the the it's I mean, it's strange to me. I mean, the U.S. continues to behave as if that's in the back pocket. Um, you know, it's, you see the same kinds of um, you see the same kinds of arrogance and and policies in in West Asia that you saw you know twenty years ago. Um, but there's no it's all over the literature. Yeah, and there's but there's just okay. no acknowledgement that the the fundamentally the situation has changed dramatically, uh, and I I think that's why we're here right now is that there's there the U.S. continues to. Uh, to act as if it it has that uh, same military card in the back pocket and there and it's not there, and so therefore in reality the U.S. is very fearful of a war with Iran in a way that it was not fearful of a war with Iraq, uh, and that 
leads to this very strange, you know, almost schizophrenic policy where you have these huge shows of force combined with, you know, frankly, cowardice in, in relation to what that mm-hmm. show of force could ultimately lead to. Uh, so that, and that does not bode well for, for anybody in Southwest Asia or, or any of us uh, here in the U.S., you mentioned the like the, the great game of uh, the control of oil resources in the Middle East and uh, uh, how that's been historically the U.S. project of that region. Uh, and it, it wraps around back to Israel, not only because, you know, uh, the U.S., of course, avoided a peaceful settlement in Israel just so it could maintain the flow of arms to Israel. I think Kissinger explicitly uh, stated that that was his policy. He was like, when you freeze the conflict. It's basically in a perpetual state of crisis, which means that you can have this, uh, you know, what they, what they call like a land, a landlocked or a, a grounded aircraft carrier <laughs> or right. some, something like that. But, uh, yeah, that, that's what they want Israel as. But an, another key strategy of uh, defeating Arab nationalism and defeating secular governments, uh, as we've talked about a, a bunch on the show, is the the Mick Jihad, um, the, the use of, uh, you know, uh, radical uh, Islam, Islamist ideologies to uh, unseat the secularists uh, who were seen as legitimate. Uh, and if you look at the situation in Israel, I mean, the exact same thing happened. Uh, Hamas actually emerged out of the same, uh, the same logic, right? Uh, when, when the PLO yeah. was, you know, the, the PLO was thought of as a, you know, a reasonable partner, a, a legitimate negotiating partner who was willing to accept the existence of Israel. Uh, well, you know, this, this this has been reported in places like the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, The Intercept, and other places. Uh, but the strategy of the Israelis at the time was to elevate and ensure that Hamas gets a lot more funding so that it would make the Palestinian opposition to the occupation uh, be viewed as illegitimate by the rest of the world. That was just an excerpt from the American Exception podcast. To hear the whole episode, as well as archived and new episodes, please subscribe to the American Exception podcast at Patreon. There's a link in the show notes, or you can just go to patreon.com slash American Exception. Subscribe and you can join us as we illuminate the dark side of the U.S. empire.